When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Before I start the show today, I want to send our sincere condolences to a friend, a brother, and my old business partner, Mr. Aaron Paul, a.k.a. real name, Mr. Aaron Kowalski. His mother, Debbie Kowalski, passed the other day. And it was a big blow to him and his family. And I just want to send out our best wishes and most sincere condolences from Decrypt Media, from myself, and all the listeners that listen to us now and then when we had ICO 101, Crypto 101, and to all the people that subscribe to his new YouTube channel, The Kowalski Way. Aaron, you always have friends in crypto. From Decrypt.co, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Aaron. Today, we have our long-form podcast where I welcome Bitcoin skeptic, author David Girard, to talk about his new book, Libra Shrugged, coming up today on the Decrypt Daily. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Today is Friday the 13th, ha ha ha, ha ha ha, 2020. It's one of those days that if any day will get worse in 2020, it's this day, right? I'm not going to ramble too much today because we have to get right into it. It's a long form podcast. We have a lot of ground to cover. So let's talk crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. What's up, everybody? I'm recording this at 2.30 Eastern Standard Time. Bitcoin is sitting at $16,233, up 1.3% from yesterday. Ethereum for 7014, up 3.3% from yesterday. Litecoin, big jump from yesterday, up 11%, sitting at 65.24. Chainlink, 1279, up 2.8% from yesterday. And XRP, breaking the 25 cent barrier, sitting at 26.5 cents. Up 4.5% from yesterday. Total market cap for all of cryptocurrency is sitting at $465.3 billion with a BTC dominance of 64.7%. And Decrypt released an article, if you know how much I love these articles. Why Bitcoin's price is rising. Here are the top five key reasons. Number one, the microstrategy effect. Now, we all know that MicroStrategy put $425 million into crypto, as well as their founder, Michael Saylor, put his own money over like $170 million and bought Bitcoin. Well, they're saying that because this key institution is doing this, it's forcing or causing or inspiring other people to do the same as Square bought $50 million in Bitcoin. Number two, public support for Bitcoin investments. Now, if you see Bitcoin is rising to $16,000, well, you just might go to your banker, your broker, somebody that's managing your 401k and go, hey, are we invested in Bitcoin? And if not, we should probably do that. Well, people are jumping on board because they see companies like MicroStrategy and PayPal and other people coming in and supporting Bitcoin, as well as JP Morgan and other banks. Number three. Grayscale investments and Bitcoin custody. Look, not everybody's tech savvy. Not everybody wants to manage their private keys. But 
If you want somebody to manage that for you, people can do that now. Hey, buy Bitcoin. Hey, keep them safe. And hey, let me profit. Now that's an option. People are going to buy more. Number four, the Bitcoin halving. Squeezing the supply. Look, every four years Bitcoin halves. That means that it's harder and harder to get Bitcoin. That's Economics 101. Lesser supply with more demand means higher prices. And finally, PayPal and cryptocurrency. Look, PayPal is coming into the space. That's allowing the average consumer, the average user, somebody with a PayPal app to buy Bitcoin. Same, it used to be before you had to go be all tech savvy to get Bitcoin. And then Robinhood came out and said, hey, you can sign up for Robinhood and buy Bitcoin that way. And now PayPal, something that's already in the pockets of millions, can now buy Bitcoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash, and Litecoin all from the app that's already downloaded on their phone. <laughs> that means the average person with that app in their pocket can now buy a little Bitcoin and ride it to the moon. Now, if everybody knows me, I just want to make this disclaimer. <laughs> Anybody who writes things like this doesn't know why Bitcoin's price is going up. We don't know. But these are some damn good reasons. And if we're going to put out reasons in there, let me add a couple more. COVID. Nobody knows what's going to happen in COVID. So why not hedge a little bit against your current investments into something that might be a little riskier, but it's unforeseen future. Let's see what happens. Money printing. They already printed a 20% of all dollars in circulation right now was printed over the summer because of COVID and stimulus packages. Well, we need more stimulus packages and COVID is on the rise. So therefore, money printer go burr. If money printer goes burr, people might rightfully assume that their dollars can be worth less and get into other assets as gold, stocks, real estate, or Bitcoin. Now, as I mentioned earlier, coming up next is Bitcoin skeptic and author David Girard. And David is a controversial figure in the crypto space because he's kind of anti-crypto. A lot of people don't have him on their shows because they don't want to give him a platform for what he's saying. And I think that is wrong. And I am not that person. That's kind of like having only Democrats on your show and not Republicans or vice versa. Look, I think that having a conversation about all aspects of Bitcoin, positive, negative, bad, good. I would even have Ray Dalio on that says Bitcoin is going to get banned because I want to have that conversation. You always should have both sides of the coin. And I enjoy talking to David because he makes me think a little deeper about the space and my career choices. <laughs> Here's David. I'll see you after the show. Hello. Look, you wrote a new book that I really want to dig into because it's, it's one of those controversial topics in the crypto space. Facebook's Libra. It's like the big bank for something decentralized and something that is supposed to be liberating. And I really want to get into this. So if you could, Sir, tell us about your book, Libra Shrugged, and tell us about the history of Libra. Right. So the origin of the book is, in 2019, there were two mainstream stories in crypto. One was the Quadriga exchange collapsing, and the other was Facebook doing its cryptocurrency, which was called Libra. Those were the stories. So I thought, oh, we could get a small book out of this. Shouldn't take too long. And a year later, I actually got the book out because 2020 happened to all of us. Basically, what happened was, I don't think Libra is taken as seriously as it should be in the crypto world. Um, people don't like it. Oh, it's a centralized project from this big company. But really, it's a very crypto world project because it was started by four Bitcoiners. Morgan Bella, David Marcus, who was basically the front man, uh, Kevin Weil and Christian Catalini. They're all huge Bitcoin fans. 
And if you read the white paper, a lot of normal people looked at it and went, what is this? But anyone who's been in crypto who read the white papers for Libra would go, oh, yeah, I know that one and that one and that one. It was a whole bunch of ideas that people like us have seen over and over. You know, so things like bank the unbanked. This was new to people as a thing that a coin could do. But of course, it's been standard in Bitcoin since 2013. You know, stuff like that. The trouble was that the real world of finance and money is harsh, particularly, and this is important, when you're the size of Facebook. If you come out with all sorts of yes. wild ideas, like our coin, our banana coin or data coin will have $2 trillion market cap and take over the world. You can say that, but regulators will just nod and smile and say, yeah, that's nice. Don't break any laws. If you're Facebook and you have 2 billion users, and it's important because Facebook really meant this to be huge. When they started the project, they went, hmm, we got 2 billion users. How could we use a blockchain? They really wanted to be huge. So regulators immediately worked out that with their reserve plan, because they were doing a sort of token-based backed coin, a stable coin. Um, you know how these work, but the sheer size of Facebook, that the backing reserve would be on the order of a trillion dollars, which is quite a bit of money. A little bit. The thing is, when you're talking about the financial markets they'd need, things like secure government paper that's equivalent to cash, you know, super secure um, investments, that's big enough to sway markets. But also, it's weird because it's like Libra didn't really know, hadn't really done their research because the plan they set out was to operate more or less a money market fund. Um, we heard about these in the lead up to the financial crisis where they would do things like they'd take in money, they'd give it back with a small amount of interest. They worked very like banks, but they weren't banks. They were what was called shadow banking, um, where you do things a bank does without bank regulation. What happened was they were running short of investments because there's only so much high quality government paper, even in an economy the size of the US. So they were creating new super secure investments for these companies to buy. And some of these investments turned out to be based on dodgy mortgages. And that's why um, as soon as that happened, the whole thing fell over and we had a financial crisis. What Libra had done, what the blockchain team at Facebook had done was to put forward literally the plan that led to disaster in 2008. Then they were surprised when regulators weren't very happy with the idea. And I'm sort of baffled by this because these are not stupid people, you know, and like payment professionals, economists, people who lived through that stuff, you know. Um, so I'm not clear on what they were thinking. And it would be interesting to try to get a clarification. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about the panic? I mean, I remember when this happened, I remember the panic coming out of DC, coming out of the EU of like, everybody was just going frantic because of what you said, the reach of Facebook, 2 billion users. We're talking about onboarding trillion or plus dollars. Um, we're talking about, you know, leveraging the assets of, you know, countries of regions can you tell us about that panic panic coming out of the the us and the eu when when libra came on the scene what was the actual talking points from congress from uh, the european union when they when facebook said hey yeah we're gonna just do uh, money on the blockchain and, and give it to everybody it was amazing um literally within minutes actually was the first reaction bruno le maire the french finance minister was being interviewed on radio when the announcement came out right um and so they said, oh, what about Libra? It's just been announced. And he said, well, of course, they can't do this. They're not going to do it. You can't have private sovereign currencies. That can't be allowed. No, no, it's going to be really highly regulated. And then later when he looked at their plans, he went, yeah, Libra's not happening. Not on Europe. Nope. And um, right. 
Later that day, Maxine Waters, the US House of Representatives, the chair of the um, Banking and Housing Committee, said, no, you'd better stop this project. And also, we'd like you up before Congress to talk to us, please. David Marcus was called up before the House and the Senate. Uh, those are my favorite chapters in the book, actually. That, that chapter, chapter 10, it's all about him in front of the uh, representatives and senators. And you know, their questions were really smart and on the ball. They took him through all the stuff. Like there's one great section, Gregory Meeks. He, talk, he, he takes him through in detail. I don't think the great minds of long-term capital management or Bear Stearns, truly impressive minds, some Nobel Prize winners. I don't think they meant to break the whole financial system, but they did. You know, good <laughs> intentions are not enough. You need to know your stuff. You need, regulators want to know that a big new player knows what they're doing, first of all. They love people making money. They love people going into business. They love people going into finance. But they've got to know what they're doing, and they've got to not risk breaking the whole board. So basically, you're saying that uh, that the House of Representatives and Congress did better than their first time meeting Mark Zuckerberg and talking about Facebook. Yeah. Um, so first they talk, they had the hearing with Marcus and they got really stuck into the details of Libra and how this couldn't work. The second Libra hearing was, was interviewing Zuckerberg. It became a talk about Facebook. So Libra was sort of a sideshow at its own hearing. A lot of things David Marcus said, he was completely sincere. He's a very sincere guy. If he says things, he means them. He was very earnestly presenting his project to the government. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, he has a track record of not keeping his word, particularly on privacy and data. So when David Marcus says, we definitely won't distribute data from our Novi wallet to uh, the Facebook ad engine, he was doubtless sincere. But when Mark Zuckerberg said it, I'd say... I would think you should assume he had his fingers crossed because mm. I don't say that I'm not being a re mind reader there. I'm speaking from observing his behavior. He's frequently said, I'll protect your data. Then he breaks it. Then he issues an apology. Then he does it again. Um, it, it's a pattern. So we should expect that for all the assurances, Facebook will use Libra as a great big data mining operation perched atop the entirety of consumer commerce, that that is what he really wants out of it. Because, you know, the answer to every question about Facebook is Mark Zuckerberg wants your data. Right, right. The rumor has it that this actually came from the Winklevi, that Mark Zuckerberg went and spoke to the Winklevi for some reason, and they were pushing around the idea of, hey, why doesn't Facebook get into the digital currency space to get into uh, taking taking money? And Mark was like, uh, just no, I don't want to do that. And then random made Libra. Is that true? Uh, no, that I don't think that's a sequence of events at all. Um, we do know that someone from the blockchain unit did meet with the Winklevoss brothers around April or May 2019, quite late on. No one knows what they talked about and nothing followed from it. Eventually, I didn't even include it in the book. It wasn't really relevant. But the idea came from Morgan Bella, who said, we're going to do a blockchain unit. She got David Marcus on board. He was the VP of Messenger at the time. He had coincidentally been thinking along these lines. He'd spent several years thinking about something that would be like Bitcoin, but work better as a consumer payment thing. Because let's face it, Bitcoin was founded as electronic peer-to-peer -peer cash, but it's not very good for the job for a number of reasons. It's not convenient. It's really volatile. Ordinary people wouldn't find it very usable. So he wanted to do something. They wanted something that was Facebook but usable by consumers, 
and run by sensible people. That is them. When we spoke about your first book, Attack of the 50 Foot Blockchain, you are very, you go hard on Bitcoin as that it's just not what it's supposed to be. And you're, and you're not apologetic about it. When we're speaking now about Libra, I find that you have some sort of affection for this project, that you almost respect it a little bit. Somewhat. It's Libra is, they mean well. The Libra team, Facebook blockchain unit, I, they seem to be completely sincere. I don't have a great opinion of Mark Zuckerberg based on his behavior, but the blockchain guys, I think they were quite sincere. They really wanted to do a project that would realize quite a lot of those promises that Bitcoin always made. Bank the unbanked, help money flow through the world and so on. But it turns out that the real world is very complicated and they should have expected it to be complicated. They should have expected it to be much more complicated than they seem to have expected. I mean, I'm sort of baffled because David Marcus is a payments guy. He used to run Facebook, sorry, used to run PayPal. He was the president of PayPal. He knows very well that you have hundreds of countries, all with different regulations. They're all very picky. And that's just, if you want to be part of the system and make money in the system, then you have to work by the regulations. It's as if they forgot all that stuff when they started Libra. It's sort of like a Silicon Valley thing where you have very smart people, and these are very smart people, but they assume that they're so smart, they don't have to learn what they're doing, that they can just reason it all out from first principles. On the surface, it seems as though they got arrogant. It seems as though that once Facebook was behind them, that they just felt like that's enough, that's big enough, that they don't have to. Maybe they could just power their way through this. Do you, do you, do you agree with that statement? Poss I would say possibly. Uh, it's possible that they, with Facebook's backing, they thought that they could just override all objections, which is a lot of what governments feared. I don't know. I think they thought a lot, thought that what they advanced was enough because if you compare it to, say, typical blockchain or ICO white papers, it was relatively sophisticated. You know, on that scale, it was in the top 5%. But that didn't cut it when you deal with um, financial regulators who are very picky because the one thing they all fear is another 2008-style crisis. So it's best not to um, provoke their nightmares and trigger their traumas. It doesn't get a good reaction from them. Look, I haven't heard about Libra in, in, a, in a while until I saw that you put out this book and I was like, we have to talk about it because it's the ep epilogue actually that says Libra 2.0 and it's not dead. Like first, what? It's not dead and there's more coming. Can you tell me a little bit about? So in April, they April this year, Libra Association, which is now a thing that exists because before it was just Facebook. Now it's actually an association, even though it's completely funded and staffed by Facebook. It's actually an association of companies. They put out a plan called Libra 2.0 or Libra White Paper 2.0, whereas before they were going to do a Libra cryptocurrency, which would be based on a basket of other currencies in a complicated scheme. Now they're just going to do national currencies, like there'll be dollars on Libra. It's a dollar token that runs on the Libra system, a pound that's a pound sterling that runs on the Libra, and a euro that's a euro that runs on the Libra. So it'll be a lot like PayPal, but it's Facebook. So that's fine. That, gotcha. If you imagine PayPal, but it's Facebook, you know, that's plausible. It's a known sort of business. It's useful. People might want to use it. It's, it's a much more sensible sort of vision. Of course, there's no reason to do this on a blockchain because it's a centralized right. chain. So all the criticisms of blockchains without cryptocurrencies apply that it's just a slow database, um, a very robust distributed slow database. 
So it's a blockchain because they like blockchains. They've put this plan forward. It still has all those problems with the trillion dollar reserve that could unbalance everything if it was treated badly. Although they're now saying they want that run by um, regulators or a group of regulators or something like that because they know that people don't trust them to do it. I think their dream is still very sincere. They really, really want to do this international payment system that will make everything wonderful. But I still think they haven't done enough of the details to appease the regulators. I know that some US representatives immediately put out press releases saying, yeah, no, that's not good enough. Unless they start with a tiny, tiny little limited pilot and work their way up, that could lead to trouble. Libra's had real world effects, like China's CBDC, DCEP. They took that from a vague plan to a project they were going to launch because of fear of Libra. I don't know if the fear of Libra was real, but it was enough to push the project along. And so they're doing ever larger test scenarios um, because, you know, everything in China is going to be at huge scale. So they know very well they have to get it right. Right, right. Um, their most recent trial, they discovered that people used it. It was nice enough because they gave people free money and told merchants, yeah, there'll be no fees. And people said, well, it's nice, but it doesn't do anything that, WeChat Pay or Alipay doesn't do. Right. <laughs> they didn't have a use. Because, again, that's the trouble with um, CBDCs. A lot of the discourse comes from blockchain land, and it comes from people saying, I've got a blockchain. What can I use it for? They're not saying, I have a problem. How can I solve it? Like the Bermuda CBDC, Sandstoller, that's going quite well because they started with a problem. We have people on outer islands. They don't have banking hmm, the central bank will have to step in. Let's do it this way. And so on. They started from the problem. They had their conditions. People have bad connectivity. They do have phones. We can do it on a phone. And they set up a system that would work with that. And I don't know what the status of that is, but so far it's, I understand it's going quite well. So always start from your problem and your conditions and then work out how to solve it. Don't start from a great idea and work out how you can wedge it into a something that doesn't have a use case is the answer for that. But, so the future should be interesting. But the worst thing about Libra 2.0 is Facebook want, will need to do, need digital identity providers because one of the big problems with unbanked people is they don't have all the paperwork that you might need to open a bank account mm -hmm. or to be part of the anti-money laundering financial system. One thing which I really learned in this book is how deadly serious governments are about AML. They really care about sanctions in particular, uh, terrorist financing, blocking North Korea and Iran. They care about that a whole lot. The US dollar and sanctions regime is what the US does instead of sending soldiers out. You may have a, whatever opinion on that, but that's how things actually work in the world. So anti-money laundering regimes are deadly serious. <laughs> So there's million, billions of people who probably can't get the paperwork. So someone needs a digital identity provider and Facebook would have to do that role. Now that could be quite scary. Imagine if you had to have a digital identity from Facebook to use money, any money, not just Libra. That should you should feel disquieted by this idea. Real quick, last last question. First, I want to say uh, thank you very much for talking about Libra and going through all Libra. Um, what do you want people to get about from this book? If they're when they're picking up this book, Libra shrugged and going through this history of Mark and and David and then making this idea and getting to Libra two point to where we are today. What do you want people to take away from this? And where can they find the book? Um, I'd love people to learn that. 
this stuff is hard, that being super smart is not a substitute for doing the reading. You have to learn what you're doing before you do big, scary, complicated things that will really move the world. I felt like that, that was that was that was personal, a personal jab because I did not read the book yet. And, and <laughs> I have to put that out there. <laughs> That's OK. Um, I mean, you're not starting a cryptocurrency for two billion people, so you're right. But uh, <laughs> to have a good, healthy fear of Facebook doing big things, because, you know, I mean, I still use Facebook. I mean, occasionally annoyed, but still a frequent Facebook user for the same reason everyone does. You know, it's where all my friends are. It's still something to worry about because it's this huge public square that's actually a corporate's own space. And that has a certain number of problems. So to get the book, um, you can get it on the paperback is through Amazon. Or you can order it through any bookshop because it's got an ISBN. There's the ebook on Kindle, and it's on all the other ebook stores if you hate Amazon. So <laughs> it's readily available. You'll have to go out and look for it. It probably won't be in bookshops of its own accord, but you can find it relatively easily online. David Gerard, author of Attack of the 50 Foot Blockchain and his newest book, Libra Strug. Thank you very much for coming on the Decrypt Daily. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Aaron. Please, wherever you're listening to this, make sure you're subscribed, like, share, leave a comment, and I will see you after the weekend. Stay safe, everyone. Wear a mask, wash your hands, and happy hodling.